He's doing it very professionally. Runs around and wins the game for Collingwood. That's fantastic. How good is it to hear the commentator's words, wins the game for Collingwood? Especially and particularly when it's against the arch enemy, the old enemy in Carlton. Welcome to the first episode of the Big Footy Podcast. My name is Peter O'Keefe, a mad lifelong Collingwood fan. And I'm starting this podcast with thanks to Big Footy, of course. The largest community of Aussie Rules fans on the internet is at Big Footy. And this podcast will be going through a few things uh, each week, but uh, mainly looking at a review of the previous rounds game and then a preview onto the coming weekend's round of footy and looking at anything and everything Collingwood related. I'm looking forward to getting some fellow Collingwood fans on here to uh, to share their insights and their thoughts on the previous rounds game and everything to do with the Collingwood Footy Club. But for now, I am doing this episode by myself, so let's jump into it. Adams. Boundary line! No way! No way! So before I jump into a review of the game from last Thursday night against Carlton, I just wanted to give you some information, I guess, about myself. I'm a 24-year-old university student who has nearly completed a Bachelor of Arts majoring in journalism. I absolutely love my footy, always have. And where does that come from? And, And where does my love from Collingwood come from? Well... It's, it's the old adage, I guess, that I was brainwashed as a kid. So basically, I guess the history of my family and the Collingwood Football Club here in Hobart, Tasmania, is uh, is the fact that my dad, who's now 75, he used to go to local footy down here uh, with his dad, so my granddad, back basically in the 19, 1950s when he was a young boy, and uh, their local club was the Glenorchy Magpies. So obviously the Magpies, and they were black and white. So that meant that when better coverage of well, the VFL at that stage you know, was obviously aired into to Hobart, firstly on radio and then through television, they immediately started going for the Magpies, the, the black and white, in, in Collingwood. So that's where it started. And, of course, uh, my older brothers, who are much older than me, uh, also go for Collingwood, and me being born in 1997, uh, born and raised as a Collingwood man, and uh, yes, you can say I've been brainwashed, but I certainly wouldn't have it any other way, that's for sure. I've now got a tattoo on my, what is it, left bicep it is, uh, of of uh, the Collingwood logo, or the Collingwood emblem, and uh, the words underneath it, Flurry at Pika. So, uh, certainly a lifelong Collingwood fan I have been, and I will be for hopefully many, many years to come, and hopefully see a lot more premierships than just the one that I've seen at this stage. I still remember watching uh, the 0203 Grand Finals as a five, six-year-old. They're some of my earliest memories I have of life, to be honest. I still remember watching watching them at my aunt and uncles and uh, getting very, very sad and emotional, uh, especially 02 when it was such a close close game that we probably could have and should have won. So, But uh, we'll move on. That's probably enough about me. And we'll move on to the Colton game from last Thursday night. It seems like an age ago now, but it is, I guess, six days ago. Look... Going into this game was a very, very 50-50 contest, uh, at least according to the bookies. And I know a lot of my mates and a lot of pundits uh, certainly had Colton winning this game. And for me, I was pretty pessimistic going into the Dogs game in round one. Uh, Not to toot my own horn here, but I remember Dad asked me what I thought. I, I watched the game with him and he asked me what I thought would happen prior to the game. And I said, oh, I think we'll be competitive, but I think we'll lose by 
probably around 15 and <laughs> so be it we lost by 16 so not to toot my own horn but I was pretty right on that but I was fairly optimistic going into the Carlton game and that's for for one you know for a couple of reasons really first of all against the dogs our our defense was great it was fantastic and in particular Darcy Moore to be honest Darcy in the in the first two rounds has been absolutely spectacular I think that's pretty clear and evident to see from uh, from every fan's point of view but he really stopped that game from being a 10-goal loss, which I think is what it should have been. I think the general play really made it look like it should have been a, a huge loss for us in round one against the Dogs, and I wouldn't have been surprised to walk away from that just looking at the, the general play to have lost by 10 goals or so. But the amount of times that he repelled you know, the Dogs' attack was, was just outstanding, and, and the defense as a whole held up against the barrage of Dogs' attack, really. So... I thought we did well to get within 16, and the defense was a big part of that. But I think you know all the headlines going into the Colton game were how bad our forward line was, and the fact that we only kicked seven goals uh, against the Dogs. I thought our forward line was actually pretty efficient <laughs> against the Dogs, which I might be going against the grain there, but we had 18 scoring shots from 41 entries, which is okay. And when you look at it, we only had one less scoring shot than the Dogs had, despite having 19 less inside 50s. And when I look at it, Cox kicked his two goals, Mychek kicked his two goals. I think Coxie had 15 possessions, six marks, two goals, in a forward line that really didn't get enough delivery. So I thought the forward line was actually somewhat dangerous and, and fairly efficient against the Dogs. It was just that the midfield got absolutely smashed. It got absolutely smashed against the Dogs. Nearly half the Dogs team, 10 players had more disposals than our leading disposal getter, which was Pendles with 25 in that Dogs game. So I went into the Carlton game thinking that our midfield could not possibly get smashed like that again. It just couldn't. And as long as we could at least halve that or get on top, then we should be we should be pretty good and in good shape going into this game. And that's ultimately what happened because, yes, the ball movement was, was much improved. We kicked 16 goals. We got over 100 points, which has happened very, very, very rarely for uh, for Collingwood since, well, in the last two seasons, I guess, since that 2018 Grand Final. So, yes, the ball movement was a lot better, but that was really a beneficiary of getting back to winning the contested possessions, which we did so by 19. I mean, we still lost the clearances despite you know, Brody Grundy having a a massive domination in the hitouts. I think it was 55 to 21 or something in the hitouts, like it was an absolute domination, yet we still lost the clearances. So that's something that I think has been an issue for quite a while and something that they still need to address and try and improve upon as the season progresses. But a couple of other things that really caught my eye in what turned out to be a 21-point, you know, solid enough win at the end of the day, uh, Jack Crisp to the midfield, 36 disposals, had the most metres gained. I think in the past with... With his role, he's obviously been a halfback flanker for for the majority. It seems to be late in games when things aren't quite going our way that Bucks chucks him in the midfield. And I think last week we saw a much bigger midfield role for him. And I love him in the midfield, to be honest, because he brings something that we don't have in there. With all due respect to, to Pendles and Taylor Adams, they're fantastic A-grade elite players. They don't have the leg speed or necessarily the kicking penetration that Crispy does. And so when you, when you put him in there, his ability to burst away from stoppages, to, to link up uh, throughout the midfield and general play, and use his speed and, and use his kick uh, to really provide some damage force, damage force moving forward, 
I think his his role in the midfield should be a lot more frequent uh, moving forward. And I think they initially, you know, Bucks wanted to move Jordan Dugowie in there to provide some of that, you know, kicking penetration, you know, that explosiveness out of the stoppages. But I think I think uh, Thursday night was another, you know, example that uh, we need Geordie down forward. He was absolutely dominant in the first half, kicking his his four goals. So I think Jack Crisp's move to the midfield should be a lot more per- permanent, and I think it worked really well on Thursday night, and he was one of the more dominant players on the ground. But back in regards to, to ball movement, I think if we look at just not the, the Colonel Colton game, but the entire two rounds of footy we've had so far, the standing on the mark rule combined with you know the 6-6-6 from, from centre bounces combined with the limited rotations, I think it's having a great and positive impact on the style of footy we're seeing. We're seeing a lot more open, free-flowing play. Uh, Clearly, that's bringing about high scoring. I did hear Cameron Mooney say on After the Bounce or whatever it was on Sunday night that he thinks that someone will kick 100 goals this season. Now, I don't... I don't subscribe to that theory. I don't think we'll get to that. But, I mean, Tex Walker's kicked 11 goals in two weeks. <laughs> Tex Walker's on track for 121 goals this season over from the first two rounds. Now, clearly that's not going to happen, but that's just showing you that the lead-up forward is certainly back in play. And how good was it? How good was it to see Darcy Moore's battle with Harry Mackay? And I think this new version of footy we're seeing in 2021 is evident by this matchup. Uh, specifically. So if we look at it, if you walk off the ground as a defender, in previous seasons, if you walked off the ground as a defender and you'd had four goals kicked on you, then you've probably had a bad game. You've played poorly. You haven't done your job as a defender. Now, for me, Darcy Moore walked off the ground with Harry McCoy kicking four goals, yet he was Darcy was still probably a top five player on the ground, possibly top three. So that just outlines how much of an impact these new rules are having and how the style of footy has changed from you know, having four goals kicked on you being a poor performance to still being a top three to top five player on the ground despite having four goals kicked on you. And, and Darcy was fantastic. And to see the one-on-one battles between him and Harry Mackay, both guys played really well. Both guys are you know, extraordinary athletes. Uh, and, and to see those one-on-one contests was just, it was a throwback, wasn't it, to to before my my days, really, to to back in the the eighties and and seeing the genuine one on one contest between a key forward and a key defender, and I thought it was it was absolutely fantastic. Both guys were really really good, and to subscribe to well more for people to to say that Darcy was poor because he had four goals kicked on him. That's not uh, giving credence to the new style of footy that we're seeing, where it is a lot easier for forwards. And defenders, they can have a few goals kicked on them, but we've seen Darcy Moore over the first two weeks play superbly and just stop. He might have had four goals kicked on him on Thursday night, but how many did he stop? How many did he also propel and, and push us back into attack with you know playing on in his speed and then his, his penetrating kicks? Like He was absolutely fantastic, and Harry Mackay was good too. And I think in one-on-one matchups like that, I think we need to appreciate that both guys played well. There wasn't. There might not have been a clear winner. Both guys just played played really well and were, you know, amongst the top handful of performance for their respective teams. So, I thought that was a magnificent battle. And then down the other went down the other end. We saw in the first half, Jordan Degoe just put on an absolute clinical display. 
uh, one-on-one basically, you know, leading out against Lockie Plowman and, you know, he ran him a bath really in that first half. Now, Geordie went missing a bit in the second half. That was a little bit disappointing, but he did still set up the game perfectly for us with that, you know, blistering that blistering first half. So he was absolutely fantastic, but the ball movement was certainly was certainly much better. You know, Jamie, before his injury, um, which was really unfortunate, he, he, he was really looking good in that first half. He kicked kicked a couple, and um, I think our, our forward dynamic is going to be hurt a little bit by, by that fractured fibula or, or whatever he's got, which is really disappointing. He's going to be out for three months or so, uh, but it does give other opportunities uh, to players, I guess. But yeah, with that ball movement and and with the the style of footy that we're seeing, I genuinely think I played Division Four AFL nines down here in Hobart, but I genuinely think I could probably lead out from full forward. And with some of the ball movement we're seeing, I could probably just get hit on the chest uh, once or twice a game and go back and snag a couple. So it's going to be a lot easier for forwards. And I think the one thing that the one positive I can take out from the first two weeks, uh, from a colonial point of view, is that weak defenses. I don't think are going to hold up well at all in this style of footy, and we've seen that. And fortunately, from a colonial point of view, defense has been the staple of our team for a number of years now. And under Nathan Buckley's coaching, it's a defensive-minded game plan that we do run. So it's clearly our greatest area of strength. And we've already seen, as I spoke about before, we should have lost that game to the Dogs by 10 goals, I thought. But our defense held up. And the other thing from, from the Colton game is, we got a good lead early. Uh, we, we started off well in the third quarter to extend that lead out to 26, 27 points or whatever it was. But Colton really changed the momentum in the mid part of that third quarter and moving forward to the, to the end of the third quarter. They were, they were dominant and we were you know, really trying to hold up, hold up uh, down there in defense and, and struggling to, to get the ball out and get the ball moving our way. But I thought, despite having you know the lead cut to nine points, I thought the defense, and again, Darcy was the leader of that, I thought it really stood up well late in, in that third quarter when Colton were really coming in. Then we were able to, I'm not sure what Bucks did or, or what he had to say at three-quarter time, but we were able to arrest that momentum back early in the fourth, get the ball going back our way, uh, and, and extending that lead out to what eventually resulted in a 21-point win. So... I think moving forward, yeah, the defense is clearly the staple of our team. It's our greatest area of strength, and that's why I think I'm, I can be optimistic about where this team may end up by season's end because, as I said, the style of footy we're seeing is not going to lend itself to a defense that's suspect uh, because the ball movement is just is really going to expose those teams that uh, have a weaker defense and are susceptible to getting goals kicked on them. They're ahead. On the final siren tonight, the first win of the year. He was good. Alrighty, moving on now to a bit of a preview of tomorrow night's game, now at Marvel Stadium, and with, of course, all the uh, the COVID issues that they're having up in Brisbane, this game's been moved from the Gabba to Marvel Stadium. Of course, the Lions have now stayed down here since their gut-wrenching one-point loss to the Cats down at uh, GMHBA on Friday night. What a ridiculous and crazy last couple of minutes of that game that we saw and the whole Zach Bailey tackle on Mark Blixarth with uh, in the dying seconds that was, well, controversial at best, of course, that non-call by the umpire there that the AFL then came out 
and uh, admitted was the wrong decision, which would have ultimately gave Brisbane the win. So they're going to be really keen and hungry because they were obviously seen as a, a top four team coming into this season, and uh, and they've lost their first two. They were really disappointing against Sydney at home in round one, and then of course should have probably should have got over the line against Geelong last week, but ultimately didn't. So at the end of the day, it does result as a, a zero two team after after two rounds and. I think this is another really 50-50 game where you look at the, the grand scheme of things at the end of the season. This is really crucial to win these kind of matchups where you're at home. Of course, it's not at the G, but you're still you're still in Melbourne against a team that's struggling a little bit. You really should be probably chalking up this chalking this up as a win. But in saying that, you certainly need to to play well and get things right against a team that. Well, was one week off a grand final appearance in the in the past two seasons. They've been a very good team over the last twenty four months. So, looking at the keys to winning this game from a Collingwood perspective, I think the big one I had here was last week was the best I think I've seen Brody Grundy play for for quite some time. He, he had a really down year last year. He was still a solid enough player, let's be honest, but it wasn't the Brody Grundy that we'd come to expect. He was a little bit down, and uh, the, you know, there's thoughts that that the whole COVID and hub life up there that they had in Queensland didn't really suit him. So there's excuses and, and reasons for why his form may have been down, for why any player's form might have been down, or even in, an entire team's form. So I kind of write off the 2020 season, but that round one against uh, against the Dogs, a team that he's previously really just had he's had his way with in previous seasons was was really disappointing, uh, which is, it wasn't surprising because Stefan Martin, obviously a new recruit for the Dogs, had has been a nullifier of, of the top ruckman in seasons past, so he's a massive addition for the Dogs, especially when they come up against the likes of Grundy and Max Gorn and these types. But last week was a real move back to the Grundy of old, the Grundy that we'd known come to expect, the Grundy that commanded a $7 million deal over seven seasons, you know, $1 million a season. I thought he was really, really good, uh, especially back to, to getting around the ground really well and linking up in play and those second efforts in, in stoppages rather than just the hitouts. Of course, he was dominant in the hitouts, as I, as I mentioned in the, the Carlton Review. Uh, you know the, the clearance stuff still needs to be fixed up, and that connection between him and the mids needs to be uh, fixed up and improved upon. But I thought it was a really positive step back in the right direction uh, for Brody. I thought he was I thought he was fantastic last week, and now he comes up against a team that's their number one ruckman. Of course, they traded out Stefan Martin during the off season, but they're, they're now number one ruckman. Oscar McInerney is in doubt for for tomorrow night's game, and and by by the, the the time you hear this or listen to this episode, uh, the teams may have already come out and you'll, you'll know whether or not Oscar McInerney is going to play or not. But even if he does, you've got a guy there who's not going to be 100% fit. And if he doesn't, then you're going to come up against the very young Ruckman, whoever his replacement may be. So I think Brody's got a great opportunity here to take the bull, uh, bull by the horns and really dominate this game and be a key factor in hopefully a Collingwood win. So I think he's a really, really important player going into this matchup, given McInerney's injury, given he will probably not be at 100% fitness if he does play or, or he might miss altogether. So we'll just wait and see what happens there. But either way, I think uh, I think Brodie Grundy's a really key player in this game. 
I spoke about before with the Darcy Moore and Harry Mackay matchup. This matchup between Darcy Moore and Joe Danaher, which I'm assuming he's going to go to. Of course, they've got Eric Kipwood down there as well. But this matchup, it's just mouthwatering. To see two father-sons, to see two 200-centimeter guys who, for, for their height, are probably the most athletic players in the league for that height. I mean, thinking of others, Nick Nat, Buddy is obviously up there. But these two are really great athletes. And to see them go head-to-head in, in some one-on-ones is going to be absolutely mouth-watering. And I think whoever gets on top in that battle could, could really decide where this game goes to uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the night. So I'm, I'm hoping uh, and I'm optimistic that, that Darcy can get the job done because he's done the, he's done the job in the last two weeks. Yes, Harry McCarkey, four goals last week, but Darcy had 18 intercept possessions. He was absolutely fantastic. As I said before, he probably prevented a 10-goal loss uh, against the Dogs in Round 1. So that's just going to be an absolute, as I said, mouth-watering battle between two two great players. Uh, obviously, Joe Danaher's had his uh, his injury troubles, but he seems to be over that now at Brisbane. And he's, he's been fairly good for them in the, in the opening two rounds. So I'm really looking forward to that matchup. From a team selection point of view, obviously Jamie Elliott comes out. It'll be uh, interesting to see who they replace him with. I did see on Twitter before that potentially young McQuarrie, McQuarrie might uh, come in and debut. Uh, another player that uh, obviously played late last season and hasn't uh, come into the team yet is, is the veteran Levi Greenwood. And it'll be interesting to see if he comes in specifically for Lockie Neal. I don't think there's any surprise that... The Lions have been poor in the opening two rounds on the back of Lockie Neal being really poor himself. Of course, the Brownlow medalist from last season does so much of the driving out of stoppages uh, and the linking up in midfield for Brisbane. So it'll be interesting to see whether Barks decides to bring back Levi Greenwood specifically for this matchup and specifically to go out and tag Lockie Neal and try and limit his influence like Geelong did last week with Mark O'Connor. I, th- I thought that was a fascinating matchup between Neil and O'Connor, and he absolutely blanketed him, especially in the first half. Lockie Neil had three disposals in the first half. Like that is, to keep him to three disposals, credit to Mark O'Connor, credit to Chris Scott, the Geelong coaching staff. They did that really, really well, and got to a point that where in the second half, at the start of the second half, Lockie Neil actually lined up on a, on a half-forward flank rather than in the middle. So... If, if it was me, I would probably play Greenwood, to be honest, specifically for that matchup, because I think it's just, if you can limit his influence, I think he can go a long way to winning the match. That's that's just me, though, whether Levi is fit and ready to go for for you know running around and chasing a really fit athlete like Lockie Neal. Uh, obviously, only the club and Bucks would know. But uh, I would personally, if he if he's up to it and he's ready to go, I would personally be, be looking at that. But it'll be interesting to see. Once again, uh, there's a good chance that uh, the team lists have probably been released by the time you're listening to this. So we'll, uh, we'll wait and see what happens there. The last thing, and I think, again, another one of the most important things, is the efficiency going into attack. I spoke about it. You know, the opening two rounds, I think it's been fairly good. It was obviously good last week. We kicked 16 goals. We kicked over 100 points. That's fantastic. But even, as I said, against the do- uh, against the Dogs, I thought we were actually, the forward line was fairly good given the lack of opportunity they actually got. So looking back to round 15 last season, a game we lost by eight points, we actually had eight more inside 50s 
in that game. We had a total of nine scoring shots and five goals from 41 inside 50s. Now, granted, shorter game time, but five goals is never going to get it done, even in 16-minute quarters. And to have only nine scoring shots for the game and having eight more inside 50s, that's, that was really disappointing, that performance. So they definitely needed to turn that around. And hopefully, obviously, with the new rules, the standing on the mark rule and, uh, and the limited uh, interchange, that, I think, will help the, uh, the, the, the ball movement and the forward efficiency. Uh, but in saying that, there's no excuses. You're playing at Marvel under the roof. There's no excuses. It's a Brisbane side that's struggling a little bit. Do I think... Ultimately, do I think we're going to win? I'm I'm fairly confident uh, after last week's performance, but I also know that Brisbane will be be coming out hard to uh, to try and atone for for the disappointment of last week, and obviously, uh, well, dis- disappointment of the umpiring last week and, and that loss last week, but also the the really poor performance in round one against the Swans. So, I'm thoroughly looking forward to this game. It should be a great game between two teams that definitely have top eight aspirations, that's for sure, but even potentially top four aspirations. And it's a big game, especially for the Lions. If the Lions go, I want three after looking like they would be you know, a top four contender again. And that's a really poor start. So I know they're going to be up and about for it, uh, but we too should equally be up and about after you know knocking off the Blues last week. So I'm hoping for, for a prize win. I'm optimistic, uh, but we'll wait and see what happens uh, tomorrow on Thursday night. That'll be it for the first episode of this podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing this each week, probably on a Wednesday at the same time. So uh, thank you very much for listening. I'm looking forward to, in the future, doing a few other things, anything Collingwood-related, getting some guests on or a co-host or anything like that to, to help me run this would be absolutely fantastic so people don't have to listen to me solely for 25 minutes half an hour or whatever it is so looking forward to that looking forward to answering any of your questions you can find me at poc252 on twitter or uh, poxpies252 on bigfooty so if you've got any questions anything you'd like me to, to discuss on uh, on each episode moving forward then just please let me know and i'm happy to talk and discuss uh, or answer questions with anything to do with the Collingwood Football Club. But once again, guys, thank you very much for listening to the first episode of the Big Footy Podcast, and I'll see you next week. Go Pies.